0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, I believe I can dismiss the kids now, is that right? So go for it. Uh, great to see everybody here. My name is Andrew Hancock, and I'm a member here at uh, Parkview North. And I'm delighted to bring the sermon uh, to you today. If you have um, your Bibles, we're going to be in the very end of Luke. Also, you should have received this little half sheet, those are your note sheet, uh, if you want, if you need one, Sarah can give you one still, but I think most of you have those. I'll be going through that this morning as well. I have some points, and then I have points under points, and so I thought I'd give you a sheet to help track uh, as I go along. And I just want to also say welcome to all of you who are online, Um, we're glad that you're joining us. Okay, so let's uh, stand, if you are able, and uh, read the Word of the Lord together. We stand in honor of the Word of the Lord, and we stand to help us pay attention a little bit to uh, what we're reading and what we're studying. So we're in Luke twenty four thirty six through 53. Luke 24, the very end of Luke, verse 36 through 53. If you don't have your Bibles, we have you covered. It's right on the screen as well. And we had said this he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still believed for joy and were marveling he said to them have you anything to eat they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them then he said to them these are my words i spoke to you while i was still with you that everything written about me in the law of moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So you can be seated. Father, we have uh, praised you in song. We've confessed our sins to you. We've been reminded of our forgiveness that we have in you. And we come expectantly to your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit um, would open our minds and uh, help us understand your words. We pray that you would help us uh understand how we might also apply these things to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage today is the final section of Luke. And um, the word on the streets is that Jesus is risen. He's resurrected. And so people have been going around and talking about this. And Jesus has been appearing here and there to his disciples in different ways teaching them more about the kingdom of God and assuring them that he was alive. And this scene in in our passage, Jesus comes to the disciples in Jerusalem. And uh, the passage says that they were startled and frightened. They thought this was a spirit. But he assured him and he said, peace be upon you. Um, And then Jesus showed him his hands and his feet and said, you can touch me. I'm real. I'm really risen. And then he had them give him food and he ate. And so why did he do this? He, he just wanted it to be clear that Jesus, he was really risen in the flesh, in the body, there with them. A body that could be touched. He really was resurrected. So right now we're going through a series called uh, Easter, Now What? So after, the, after Easter, we've done a few uh, sermons on the importance of the resurrection and why that should matter in our lives. And so if you remember a few weeks ago, Dave talked about what is Jesus doing now? <laughs> what is he doing now that he's risen and ascended? And he talked about the great high priestly work of Jesus right now, interceding for us, ministering to us in heaven. And so my question this morning is, Why did he need to go to heaven? Why did he need to ascend? How did he do that? Why did he need to do it in the way that he did it? So I would like to focus on the ascension of Jesus. So if you look at our passage in verse 51, it says, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And so the ascension is Jesus' bodily return to heaven to reign as king at the right hand of the Father. So that's, that's my definition. Jesus' is bodily return to heaven to reign at the right hand of God. So this is what I want to do today. Um, it seems like the ascension, when you think about it, is kind of an overlooked idea. One of the reasons is the resurrection is so great, right? And so we tend to focus on that. But how many sermons have you heard on, about the resurrection and all its doctrines and what it means for us in our life, all the truths connected to it? I want to talk about that. Why is the ascension important? And then what should it matter for our lives? So why is the ascension important? And the first truth I want to show you is that Jesus ascended according to plan. So if you're filling out your notes, that's the first blank, according to plan. Some of you like to fill out blanks. There you go. If you don't like to fill out blanks, that's okay. You can just follow along. So Jesus ascended according to plan. So our passage talks about here Jesus' ascension is an essential part of God's work of forgiveness. It was foretold in the Old Testament, and Jesus himself predicted it, and it also acted as sort of the stamp of approval by God for Christ's work. So Jesus in our passage is walking through this, the importance of God's plan in, in the world, in, in Scripture, in history. And he reveals that he is the center of that plan. And he explains that after he leaves, God is going to continue to work through his believers. So if you see the order of things here, uh, the ascension fits in. So Jesus was crucified he was resurrected. He rose again on the third day. Then He ascended into heaven. Then He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in the believers, and that they might proclaim His name to all nations. So if you look at verse 47, I think that reveals, just a little phrase there reveals the core of God's plan, and that is to provide forgiveness of sins. So God's plan in Christ was to provide forgiveness, which we've already sang about today. So we see in the ascension is right in there in the plan of God from the beginning, an integral part connected with everything else that he did. So the ascension was foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus said right there in verse 44, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So those things were written, uh, he said, about me, and those things must be fulfilled. So the Bible, if you look at it, is one story of redemption, of God's plan of forgiveness. And Jesus is at the very center of that plan. Everything's pointing to him. So the law, the prophets, uh, the Psalms, everything points to Jesus. I just want to show you one verse in the Old Testament that predicts the ascension Psalm 68, 18 points to Christ rising and ascending to heaven. So here's what it says. It says, you, um, predicting Jesus, ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. This is picked up in Ephesians 4 saying that's talking about Jesus and his ascension, that he is ascended as a conqueror, as a victor, and that he also Gives gifts to the church. So he's the victor, conqueror, says, leading a host of captives in the train. And that he gives spiritual gifts to the church as part of it. And then we also see that Jesus himself, he predicts the ascension. Um, Jesus told his fathers, I am going to the Father. He said that repeatedly. I am returning to the Father. So I'm reading through the Gospel of John right now. Um, in my Bible reading plan, my devotions, each day I have an Old Testament and a New Testament passage. My um, Old Testament passage right now is Ezekiel. My New Testament passage is John. And because I've been preparing this sermon, I've been looking for the ascension a little bit. My antennas has been up. And so the other day I was like, wow, I think I, I, I see it here quite a few times. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll just look back this past week or two into how many times the ascension is mentioned just in my daily bible reading and i was kind of amazed um i found that it was in chapter three thirteen in john 662 733 739 814 821 it was all over the place as i was reading and i was like i don't know why i haven't noticed this before it really is an integral part of jesus plan um And so one example for you, early in John, I was reading John 3.13, Jesus said, No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he's talking about himself. So Jesus is God, the only one who has the authority to ascend. And he will be um, lifted up. Um, So all who look to the cross and to his ascension and ask for forgiveness will, will receive eternal life. So the ascension is also according to plan um, because it's the Father's stamp of approval on Christ's work. So the ascension serves as the final and glorious aspect of the work of Christ for forgiveness. So in the ascension, if you think about it, Jesus rises and the Father receives him. Why did he do that? Because the work of forgiveness was complete. So God validates... Right? and he confirms this work by receiving him in the ascension. Jesus died for sins and was raised and ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God. His work was complete, the work of forgiveness. Hebrews 1.3, and he, Jesus, um, provided that forgiveness of sins. After Jesus provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus, after he provided purification for sins, went up and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the majesty in heaven. So Jesus fully provided this forgiveness by his sins, his work on the cross, and then sat down in heaven, the right hand of God. His work was complete, and God was pleased. So I like to think of the ascension as God's stamp of approval on Christ's work. And this makes me think about when I applied to grad school. There was just so many steps to this application. I had to uh, take the GRE, send those in, get my transcripts ready, send those in. I had to do interviews, entrance exams, um, take uh, an application, fill it out write essays there was a lot to it a trip to campus and at the end I'm sure the file was pretty full and they kept sending me emails saying you have this to do it was like a checklist you still have this to do you still have this to do you still have this to do Um, and finally I got it all done sent it in a letter came in the mail I opened it up I'm approved to school and I just remember feeling relieved like okay I'm finally done with that but I didn't know that there was a lot more work to do. <laughs> um, and then I was excited to start. So if you think about God's, um, God receiving Christ's work, think about it like a big thick manila file folder of oh, just flow, overflowing with Christ's work. And God takes that file and uh, what might he do to it? He might put a stamp on it in big, thick, bold, red letters, approved, right? This is, the ascension is the approval of God. So he took that folder and stamped on it, ascended, you know, as God's approval. The big, thick red letters, ascended. So the ascension was according to God's plan. And then we also see that the ascension, it came with a promise. So Jesus ascended with a promise. We see this in the passage. Jesus is going to ascend and send the Helper. Holy Spirit to indwell believers, to empower them and to give them power to witness and to help them understand scripture and help them share God's word. So if you look at verse 49, Jesus said, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So Acts 1 also talks about the ascension in Luke and then also in Acts 1. And it says that Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. So what is the promise of the Father? And we see a little bit later in Acts 1, 4 and 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. So when you think about the Holy Spirit and his work, he does many things. He's called many things. He's called um, the counselor, the advocate, the spirit of the Lord, the um, Lord. But in a number of places, he's called the helper. And in in our passage, we can see this as the helper in a few ways. What's the Spirit going to help the disciples with? Well, he's going to help every believer know God, understand and know God. He's going to help every believer witness. He's going to empower them to witness. He's going to help every believer understand truth. So he's going to help teach them. So I just want to share a few phrases from our passage, if, if you look back down, that show these things about the Helper, and then a couple passages from John. So verse 49, Jesus says, I am ascending, uh, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, and that they would be clothed with the Holy Spirit. So I love John 14, 16, and 17. I just want to read it for you. This is the work of the Helper. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the Lord cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will live in you. I just think that's amazing. The Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit of the living God um, dwelling inside of us so that we can know Him more, right? We can know Him, and He can live with us forever. That's just a stunning gift from the Father, if you think about it. And another phrase I liked is verse 49. It says they would be clothed with power from on high. So it's a power from on high. The Spirit would give them power, and you can see it in the passage there, to be witnesses, to witness to the truth about Jesus, proclaim his name to all nations. John 15, 26 talks about the spirit of witness. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is sent from Jesus, proceeds from the Father, and that he is a spirit that bears witness about Jesus. So the Spirit of witness is sent into the hearts, of every believer, so that they can share his name. And this is the power of God in them, in us. And so we witness in Jesus' name the very power of God living in us. And then one final phrase to point out. Verse 45, Jesus opened their uh, hearts and minds, minds to understand the Scripture. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So Jesus, when he was on earth, people were amazed at his teaching. No one has ever taught like this. And so he had this teaching ministry to help his disciples and others um, understand the truth of God, especially in scriptures. Um, but Jesus could only teach locally to a group of people or one person um, at a time. And so it was somewhat limited in this. He, while he was on earth, he could teach for a few people at a time. Um, but the helper would come uh, to teach universally, um, so not just locally but universally. So the helper would come um, that's one of the reasons why Jesus had to ascend so that he could send the helper to go everywhere into the hearts of believers, universally, to help them understand the scriptures and be witnesses, and proclaim his name. John 14:26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to you remembrance you know, of, of all that I have said to you. So uh, Jesus is going to continue teaching all things. He's going to help them understand the truths of Scripture, remember his words, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the Helper. So if you think about it, did you know that every time you understand something in the Bible, every time you understand something, truths about God in your devotions, that's the Holy Spirit working in you powerfully. Every time you read the Bible and something just clicks, like, ah, I understand now. That's the Holy Spirit working in you, the helper. I remember in in high school, uh, some friends of mine, we were going through studying deeply the Gospel of John. First time I've ever studied uh, a Gospel like that. And I just remember so many times things clicked, you know, truths, I understood the truths that were there in new ways as I discussed it with my small group. And God really worked in me again and again, understanding new truths. So without the helper, we wouldn't understand God's truths or Jesus' words. It's, it's just so simple, but yet it's just so profound. It's, it's just an amazing grace to us. So this was just, the ascension was Jesus' plan all along. You know, he was going to ascend to heaven, bless his people to live inside us, to empower us, to help us understand all things. So Jesus ascended according to plan. Um, He ascended with this promise. And then the third point I have is Jesus ascended to a place. So Jesus ascended to a place. And that's really important for us. So if you look back down, Um, verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And in Acts 1, it says that Jesus was, quote, taken up to you from, or into heaven. And now, when I think about the ascension, you know, just, there's a lot of questions that I have when I think about that scene and what went on. Um, You know, where did Jesus go exactly? How did he get there? You know, how did this all work? You know, sometimes the ascension seems like something you would see in a movie. You know, how, did, how did the clouds take him there? Did he just kind of step on and go for a ride? You know, what was it like for the disciples to watch him? Did they just watch him as he slowly kind of went up as a speck in the sky like a big rocket? Or did he more just sort of go up and out, you know, on the cloud over the mountains? You know, how did this work? You know, how did he fly through the sky? Did he fly through the universe? You know, if he did fly through the universe, how did he not lose oxygen, you know, or be burnt up or something in the atmosphere or get like really cold, you know, out there in space? You know, was he like Captain Marvel that had like this ability, you know, to fly through space unhindered? Um, you know, did he go up to heaven somewhere? Where is heaven? Above the earth? You know, um, lots of questions. You know, maybe he interacted with another dimension, right? You know, like um, in that movie Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. You know, maybe he got to, to heaven and looked around and saw it was cool and said, all right, all right, all right. You know, sorry, that's my bad Matthew McConaughey <laughs> impersonation. Yeah, so, but how does it work? Did, did, he, did he transport there? We just There's so many questions we don't know. But we do know that he went to heaven, to a real place, and he did so to demonstrate his glory. How does it demonstrate his glory? Well, he went to heaven to rule on a throne, and he's going to return again as the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's why he ascended, to show his glory. And that's remarkably glorious, if you think about it. So a couple points to to consider um, back there on your sheet if you're following along. When we think about Jesus ascending to a place, Jesus' ascension was to a place. It was to heaven as our forerunner to be with his Father and to prepare a place for us. So Jesus was our forerunner. He went to heaven um, and went before us. He paved the way so that we too can be assured that we're going to be in heaven someday, at home with the Father. So John 20, 17 says, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. He went home to be to a place where he greatly desired, a place of eternal love with the Father. He also went to a place to prepare a place for us. You think about John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be where I am. So Jesus, as our forerunner, ascended to heaven and prepared an eternal dwelling. And uh, he was our first, he was the first fruits of those who are Resurrected. So he was resurrected, we will be resurrected, and we will follow him in that. And so he went there to prepare a place so that we would also be with the great I am. And Jesus' ascension to a place was to a throne, if you think about it, as our king, to rule the universe and bless the church from the throne. And so the ascension passage in Mark says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So that phrase is used a lot in Scripture, the right hand of God. It's a, a, a throne. It's a power of supreme authority and position, far above any other authority, far above any other name. It means that Jesus is on the throne, ruling as a king over the universe, running the universe, Hebrews one. 2, 1-2 says he upholds all thing, things by the word of his power from the throne there. So this means that Jesus is the sustainer and the ruler of all, just the king. If you read Ephesians 1, 20 and 23, it explains that Jesus is supreme. He's ruling over every power and authority. All enemies are under his feet as the conquering king and lord. And Jesus also sits on the throne, what some say, in session. So he's doing kingly work. The king is in session. So what is he doing as king on the throne? There's a lot of things. I'm just going to give you a list. He is interceding for us as our advocate, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He's giving us grace to help us in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4. He's granting repentance and forgiveness. That's Acts 5, 30 through 32. He's keeping our salvation secure, Romans 8, 34. And he's blessing the church with gifts, Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. So, wow, you know, you think about this. He is doing a lot of ministry on the throne there in session, blessing us, the church, in just all of these amazing ways. So also when we think about Jesus' ascension to a place, he ascended so that he could return again as our blessed hope, give us resurrected bodies, and live with us forever. So Jesus ascended to a place with a pledge that he's going to return again someday. And in Acts 1 it says about the disciples, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up for you into heaven, will come again. And here it is. Come again in the same way you saw him go to heaven. So the angels there announced to the disciples that there's a promise. There will be a return. Jesus is going to return again in the same way they saw him go to heaven. So in the clouds, and for all to see. So this pledge to return is intertwined with the ascension. He ascended so that he can come back too. This is called our blessed hope. I love that, I love that phrase. Titus 2.13 says, We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus will return bodily, in the flesh, visibly for all to see, In great glory. And he's going to resurrect our bodies to be like his glorious body. And Jesus will come and conquer all his enemies and set up his throne as king. His eternal kingdom. One of my favorite books is The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien. I love the whole trilogy. And this is about um, Aragorn as the promised king. Comes on the scene just in the nick of time and leads the people and all the peoples of Middle earth to destroy the dark lord Sauron. And he does once and for all. And then he sets up his peaceful kingdom. So, what we're talking about this morning is the real return of the king. You know, Jesus is going to return as king. And I want to just talk about one final amazing truth um, and then get to some applications. So when you think about the ascension, many of the the truths that we're talking about, uh, about Jesus, are also truths about us and about our future as we are united with Christ. We're united with Christ, and so we're co-heirs with Him. We don't always think... About this, because we don't always feel like we're co-heirs when we're weak, when we're struggling, we don't feel like we're heirs. But we are. That's our identity in Christ, and that can give us amazing confidence. We are in Christ, united to Him, and because this union, we share in His death, in His resurrection, life, in His ascension, in His authority, in His power, in His rule someday. Albert Moeller puts it this way, Jesus, as Christ, ascended and sits on the heavenly throne. The Father will usher his people to a glorious seat of authority because of their union with Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, one of my favorite verses about this, says, and God raised us up with him. So there's the co-resurrection, co-enthronement, co-ascension, And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So somehow we're seated with him, co enthroned and rule. And then it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. So we're co heirs in Christ, co rulers in Christ. We have an amazing identity of glory and authority. Because of our union with Christ and his ascension, we're able to share, in some measure, Christ's authority over the universe. This is amazing. And someday, all will see this and be amazed at God's kindness to us in Christ. So we've, we've, we've seen some incredible truths today. You know, Jesus ascended according to plan with his promise to a place. Um, and we really only scratched the surface. I hope you, you can see just all the glorious truths that are connected with the ascension. It really is amazing. And I just want to do just a little bit of application uh, before we end today. I have three points of application. How are we to respond? You know, what should we do in response to this? I just want to work through the text just briefly one more time, share with you three things you had three P's, now you have three W's. Number one, we witness. We witness. Right there, verse 48, I mentioned it a little bit already. Verse 40 said, 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus gave his disciples a purpose, a mission, to witness to the truths um, the veracity of what they saw, that it really was true, the reality of the death, resurrection, and power of Jesus. And they were to be proclaimers as witness. They were to proclaim these truths, proclaim that there's a risen Savior, Uh, proclaim that uh, there is repentance for the forgiveness of sins in His name, and they were to proclaim to all the nations of earth. That was, that was their task. That's our task as disciples. And Jesus also said in, in uh, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. So our, our mission is to be witnesses, proclaim all these things, and then to make disciples. So when I was 14, my dad passed away, and I still have some things of his. And one thing I have is this um, box of cards where he would put scripture memory, he would learn Bible verses and put them in there and then tr- strategically pull them out and help them review his verses. And so I use that box now, and it helps me stay organized. And um, every time I open it, I open, to the, uh, the, open up the cover, and right there is a note that he has taped on. And it just says, Go make disciples. That's it. And so every time I open that up, I see this calling on, on his life, on my life, on our life, on the life of our church is to go witness, go make disciples. And that gives me confidence and a renewed sense of a purpose every day. So our lives are filled with this mission, this great purpose for our lives, to give our lives to. So we witness Number two, we wait. So the ascension, um, we wait. Verse 49 says, Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Um, Acts 1, four says, But wait for the promise of the Father. So Jesus wanted his disciples to wait for a while, to stay put until the Holy Spirit came. And they were probably wondering, When will this be? They didn't know when it would happen. Um, if you think about it, um, the ascension wasn't quite their plan. They wanted Jesus to stay. So it wasn't exactly their plan or, or preference. If you look at Acts 1-6, they're already asking the question, when are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? You know, is it, is it right now? Um, they wanted him to stay, to stay but he was going to ascend. And then if you look at John 20-17, Mary Magdalene Um, comes and and wanted jesus to stay and this is one of the first thing this is the first thing that he says to the first person he appeared to he talks about his ascension at that point i am ascending to the father he tells her go tell his the disciples so she wanted to cling to him she wanted him to stay there finally jesus is, is is risen he's back and i wanted to stay forever but you know he says i'm gonna ascend tell the disciples, I'm ascending. That's my plan. And I think, too, Jesus wants us to wait as well, and we are waiting for his return. You know, just like the first disciples, we don't know when it's going to happen, and so we wait expectantly. We wait being ready for it to happen. Um, Jesus is going to come and make all things right. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And this just gives us great comfort, you know. It gives us great hope when we're suffering or when we're in pain. And number three, we worship. So our response also is to worship. So what, if you look at the passage, what did the disciples do? What's the first thing they did after the ascension, after they saw this? They worshiped. They exalted this risen Lord. Verse 52 and 53. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So they worshiped him with great joy, like joy and gladness in their hearts. The ascension just made them overflow. The natural response to worship. So they were just amazed at this Jesus who did this. And, and worship had been become a part of their lives now. They were continually doing this in the temple. So they understood the significance of the ascension, and it moved them to worship. The Jesus that they knew and loved on earth was also the ascended Lord, the God-man. He's at the right hand of the Father. He, he's lifted up. And so, and, and, you know, he was sent from the Father, and he returned to the Father in great glory. They understood this, and so they worshiped. And my question is, are we also moved to worship when we learn about these truths? If anything, we should respond um, to the ascension with worship. Jesus is the exalted Lord. He's in his kingly session, blessing us all over the place um, and just ruling and reigning the world. And, you know, he will come again. So we wait for him. He's going to come again, not as in humility as a baby, but he's going to come again as the exalted king. So let's pray together. Daniel 7 says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like one, like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed. So Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. We pause and worship you as the ascended king. You know, you have this everlasting kingdom and dominion. We recognize that you are our forerunner, the first fruits, going to pave the way to heaven. We thank you for making us co-heirs, uh, um, co-rulers in Christ. And we pray that you give us help, the helper of the Holy Spirit, to understand your scriptures and power um, to witness. Help us witness, make disciples for your glory because you are this glorious King. And we just wait to an expectation for you, the ascended Lord, um, to come again. Amen.